Okay, so I asked Brad, have you guys read the whole genealogy yet? Because the sermon series is our family tree, the lineage of Jesus. So you really had to read or hear the whole thing. I'm just curious, did anyone have any feelings during the reading? Like, uh, you could shout them out. Bored. You're bored. Like, are you kidding? How long is this list? It's approximately three minutes long. Are there any other reactions? No doubt? Oh, zoned out. <laughs> like, I am just going to check out. This is like, this scripture reading is not for me. I'm going to tune in when it gets a little more interesting. Okay, I'm with you. I heard somebody, like, their foot was kind of going like this. Like, da-da-da-da-da. Maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do after worship. So I want to bring your attention now back to this room. Because there is a reason that all of these people are listed out. It's almost like the gospel in miniature, because these are not the people you would expect to see on the list. One of my favorites is, why is not Joseph the good brother, the extraordinary brother who saved his family, who sacrificed himself, why isn't he on the list, the original Joseph? And Judah, we get Judah instead. Judah's the one who sold his brother into slavery. Like, really? That doesn't make sense to me. King David, you're going to hear next week about what David and Bathsheba had going on. And that was at David's initiation. He was a poet. He was a great king. He was evidently an amazing, faithful man, but partially because of what God redeemed him from. So a lot of people are on this list, not because they were worthy of a claim in themselves, but because they had some unique dependence on God. So I just have a little story about my own uh, sense of unworthiness, which is when I was a sixth grader, there were no cell phones, uh, the, the phone was located in the kitchen, it was a mustard yellow, it was a rectangle phone di- with a dial-up, and a long curly cue cord. I could not have any telephone conversations that my parents could not hear. If there was anybody in the kitchen, there was like a kind of a swing door to the dining room, I would take the cord and go in the dining room if it was like something that I didn't want my parents to hear. Like, usually long conversations with my girlfriends. Well, one time... I answered the phone. Okay, I'm sixth grade. I'm a sixth grade class president. There's another sixth grade class president, the other sixth grade class. His name is Bruce Shepard. He calls me on the phone. I answer the phone. I I was supposed to say, hi, this is McCloskey Residence. Kendi's speaking. And this really timid guy voice says, hi, this is Bruce Shepard. Will you go steady with me? And I was like, go steady. Like, I didn't even really know what it meant. I said, Bruce, wouldn't you rather go steady with Jennifer Peters? (laughs) Jennifer was gorgeous. She was like thin, long, gorgeous hair that came down to here. She was allowed to wear heels to school. We still had to wear skirts in public school in my day. And she had these really cool, like, tights and heels are probably about like this. And I decided, if you're going to go steady with someone, you want. she was really smart, got all straight A's. Like She was the pa- person who pa- whose paper you would want to copy off if you were that person who copied off of papers. So I just thought, Bruce, like, really, call Jennifer. And he said, Kendi, if I wanted to go steady with Jennifer Peters, I would have called Jennifer Peters. Yeah, makes sense, right? I did say, well, okay. I mean... What that meant was we talked together at recess. We didn't play kickball. We just chatted. We didn't hold hands. We didn't go anywhere. We just chatted during recess. And it ended at the end of the school year. So maybe there are times that we feel that way. 
like maybe God would like to tap somebody else on the shoulder. Like why us? Why are we really worthy of being in the story? And I think this story that we're going to look at today is absolutely persuasive that we all belong in the story. So may God bless to our understanding these multiple readings of his word and may we see ourselves in God's family tree. So the person that we're going to look at today is Ruth. And uh, does anybody know any books of the Bible that are named after women? Ruth is one. Esther. Esther's the other. So we're looking at one of the two books of the Bible that are named after women. And really, um, the focus of this whole story is on Ruth. When I say Ruth's name, there are a couple of other names attached to it. It would be often thought of as Ruth and Boaz or Naomi. So we're going to look at the beginning of Ruth's story. I've got a lot of places marked in my Bible here. It goes like this. Oh, this is such a good story that in the version of the message, uh, it starts once upon a time. So once upon a time, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem, notable town in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So we're going to start today with a game that I used to play when I was about in sixth grade called 20 Questions. And there were different ways to play 20 Questions. You could play it animal, vegetable, mineral, or you could play it person, place, or thing. Someone got a great idea, and this just became a TV show. Like last August, there was a season of person, place, or thing. So our sermon today is going to be focused on those three things, person, place, and thing. So we start with... The person we start with, the focus, is this man whose name was, I have to say one now, Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And there was a famine where they lived in Bethlehem of Judah. So they traveled to Moab, where there was evidently more food. Now, I looked up the distance here, and it was over a... Um, a hilly, really mountainous region. I was trying to think it might be like walking from something like Issaquah toward Clay Elm. Like you're kind of going across the mountains in hopes that there's going to be like a, a more food, better life right there. It wasn't that he wanted to leave. It was that there was a famine and so he needed to leave. So uh, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons make this journey. Once they get there, they're evidently there in Moab for quite a long time because these young men grow up and they take Moabite wives, which if you were from uh, Israel, if you were Jewish, if from Bethlehem, having a Moabite as a spouse was not seen favorably. So this is like a cross-cultural relationship that on one side would be seen as Um, kind of less than, like you settled. Instead of waiting for a good Jewish girl, you married a Moabite. And she's even called a Moabitess. So that's what happens. And then the dad dies, and then both of these two sons, husbands, die. And so Naomi is left as a widow. Being a widow in that era was a really, almost like a curse, because she couldn't own property, she couldn't have a job, she couldn't provide for her family. She had been dependent on her husband and then on her two sons. So she and her two daughters-in-law are left completely bereft, you would say. They have, they have no income source. They have no insurance. They're, they're now dependent on others for their well-being. 
And, and I think we know a lot of people in our community, we see people who are dependent on others. So Naomi tries to figure out what is she going to do? So she does this. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, no, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you want wait until they grew up? Like This is the only way she can imagine providing for them, is to have more sons. She says, no, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And so they weep, and one of them, Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And I think this is why Ruth is actually became a book, why it's so famous, is because of Ruth's statement here. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. So the person. Ruth makes this commitment to Naomi. It's, it's like a vow. It's one of the two vows that we're going to see in this, in this um, sermon, in this scripture. Ruth is saying, I am going to choose loyalty to you. I'm going to put my lot in with you. Maybe she's going to end up, as she does, becoming Naomi's protector. I'm now a mother-in-law, and so I like that she stayed with her mother-in-law. Maybe her mother-in-law was delightful. Maybe her mother-in-law was a more hopeful person than her own mother. Maybe there was something about going home that wasn't really going to work well for Ruth. We don't know that part of the story. But she clings to Naomi. Sometimes this scripture is read at weddings, saying, like, I am going to become part of your people and your people, my people. And I wonder how it is for each of us. Do you have a people? When I come into Ballard worship, I feel like, okay, these these are people who love each other. This is their their place. These are their people. Um, Maybe you have a short list of people. When something would go wrong in your life, who would you call? There's an invitation in here to become that kind of person who has a loyalty to others, who almost takes a vow, if you will. Like, I'm your friend for life. You know, I'm in it with you. When you're going through a hard time, I'm with you in that hard time. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to be a fair-weather friend. Uh, Ruth is exactly the opposite. Ruth is saying that it's, the going has gotten tough, and I'm going to be tough with you in it. So she makes this commitment uh, to Naomi. So secondly, we see then what happens, like the place. Um, Let me see if I want to tell you anything else about that. Nope, I'm good with that. Um, The place, they're going to leave Moab, and they're going to have to journey back. So now imagine you're in Clayelum. Uh, Things are not going well. You're going to have to go back up over the mountain and down back into Issaquah or Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is mentioned so many times. So as they're making their journey, Naomi... The, the mother-in-law is evidently carrying such a heavy heart and such bitterness that she begins to think of herself as just as a person 
almost whose name is sadness or bitterness. And when she kind of gets back into town, uh, now I'm in verse 19, which isn't on the screen, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune on me. Her, her life seems tragic. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And maybe now she has like an extra daughter she didn't expect to need to take care of. When are we in that kind of space where we almost will want to change our name? It's a temptation, isn't it? To sort of give in. It's, it's just the way it is. My, my life is, is, is taking a turn and there's no turning back. But Naomi, or Mara, as she's called for just a short time, turns her way back to Bethlehem. And I think it's so significant that it's the place of Bethlehem. That's, that's a significant name. We're going to see more about Bethlehem throughout the scriptures. And I think there's almost a symbolic sense of what does it mean to turn home? To turn to that place where, where you will have hope, where you will be loved, where you will be welcomed. That's, that's the expectation and hope of Naomi turned Mara. But that isn't what happens. Maybe because she came there with a Moabite, she, she brought an outsider into the community. And the community doesn't embrace Ruth. The community kind of lets them sit to the side. All the laws that should have been followed around the care for widows, that's not happening very well. So Naomi and Ruth have to kind of come up with their own plan. So what they do is they uh, know of a field that is the, owned by a relative of Naomi, Boaz, and uh, Ruth goes out and gleans at the field. So after the harvest is taken, there's enough left behind, you know, things that got missed. And uh, Ruth is going to go and, and glean in this harvest. And as she gleans, she basically finds favor with this man, Boaz. And so then they build a plan. And I'm not going to go over all the details of that plan. It's a little bit disputable what happens in that place. But there's a threshing floor involved. And there's some evening attire and some perfume. And what do you know? Boaz becomes quite taken with Ruth and decides that uh, he would be willing, uh, by chapter 3, he would be willing to take her as his wife. But this isn't how this goes in that place. There is somebody, like by law, who is the one who should take Naomi and Ruth in. So Boaz makes a plan, and he calls a community meeting, and he says, uh, here's uh, this woman, this Naomi, and uh, she's in town, and she's a widow, and uh, would you like to take her in? Because you are her logical kinsman, like family member, redeemer. So here's what's going to happen in Bethlehem. Boaz puts this out there, and this other man says, oh, yeah, um, you know, I picture this kind of, yeah, I'll take him in. You know, it's the right thing to do. And then Boaz says, well, when you take them in, you know, you're going to have to buy the property, and then you're going to have to have this Moabite woman also as your wife. And buying back that property that, that 
the husband had owned a long time ago would would have been kind of expensive. So this no, no longer big man on campus says, well, that might like hurt my estate. That might hurt my fortune. I'm not going to do that. And so Boaz says, okay. He takes off his sandal, which is what they did to close out a deal, and, and they, make a, they make a vow. So Ruth and Naomi, in the place of Bethlehem, find a redeemer. And that redeemer is Boaz. Boaz becomes the one through whom we're going to see the lineage continued. So Boaz and Ruth come together, husband and wife, in that place called Bethlehem. So we see in the end of Ruth, I've taken you all the way through a whole book of the Bible. Congratulations. We're on chapter four. We're at the very end. And we're going to talk now about the thing that happened in Bethlehem. So here we go. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. So Naomi took the little child, laid him in her lap. Can you picture this grandma now? She was uh, experiencing a famine. She became a widow. She became responsible for other people. And now she's got this little child. She lays him in her lap and cares for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then this book closes, you can almost see it, with another genealogy. It just goes like this. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. And then that's where the genealogy is going to pick up. It's so interesting to me that, that we almost see Ruth's book ending with the genealogy that Matthew's book starts with. So we're connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament right here in the place of Bethlehem. That's where the redemption happens. So if we jump to that New Testament passage, and I'm going to go to Luke. I think I might have put on the screen that it was in Matthew, but it's actually in Luke. It's in Luke chapter 2. And let's see. The whole thing has happened. The birth of Jesus has happened. And, you know, fast forward, it's going to happen. Like we're advent sunday three but the birth of jesus is coming we just have like a few more days so you might remember this um in luke chapter 2 verse 8 there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby you know where those shepherds were they're probably just outside of bethlehem they could have been in the very field where ruth had gone gleaning so there's a connection of place these shepherds are are doing their thing. They're just doing their work. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people on the list and all the people not on the list. It, it always strikes me when we read this genealogy and then when we think of Santa Claus, like Santa Claus has a list and he's checking it twice to see you've been naughty or nice and who's on the list? The nice people, right? Who's on the list of the genealogy of Jesus? Some of the naughty people. So these angels are announcing, hey, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So don't distort it. Don't make it for some of the people. 
It's for all the people. And the, the shepherds kind of look at each other. They, and the, the angels, glory to God, peace on earth to everyone. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So now we get to thing. Person of Ruth, place of Bethlehem, this thing has happened. I, I didn't look up the Greek or the Hebrew. I would love for Brad to do that research. He's, he's our, our resident scholar. But I wonder if they just didn't have a word for it. Something has happened. This thing has happened. And which the Lord has told us about. What's the thing that has happened? What's changed? What's changed in Bethlehem? What makes a difference? It's, it's really this idea that there's a redeemer. There's someone who takes you and me under his cloak, who gives us his own name, who becomes one of us, who essentially says, hey, you people, I'm going to be one of you. Your people are my people. My people are your people. You're going to belong to each other through the name of Jesus. There's a new thing that's happening. Come and see it. My husband and I uh, lived in Spokane when we were first married, and it was really snowy pretty much all the time in winter. And we loved to go walking in the night, and uh, you know, it would be twinkling snow, and especially Christmas, twinkling lights. And one evening, I was coming home late, and he was going to be home. We had no kids. We did have two cats. but So I, I'm driving around the corner in our neighborhood, and slowly, I'm not a great snow driver, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this corner, like, all lit up. And I kid you not, there were live animals. And there was a live Mary and Joseph. And I think there was a live little baby in a manger. And I'm, like, swerving, like, oh, my gosh, what was that? I, I drove home, parked the car. Tyler, we got to go. We got to go. There's something happening. There's, like, it's sort of like a live manger scene. Can you imagine what that was like? That's what the shepherds got to experience. The angels told them, you're going to go there, you're going to see a sign, and it's going to be a star. Now, when I was thinking about this sermon and this idea of basing it on those, those questions that you play in the game 20 questions, it occurred to me that there's a lot of questions that we ask at Christmas. Sometimes for me, doubts rise up the most. Was Jesus really born in a manger, or was it more like a house? Was it more like a room where the animals were? Was Mary really a 15-year-old virgin? Like, how did the Holy Spirit cause her to conceive a child? How did the Magi, when did the Magi get there? And did Herod, was Herod's threat really immediate? And the Gospels are different. You know, how do you put this all together? Well, here's what I believe to be the truth. There was enough happening there that we see angels, we see wise men, we see Herod all responding to something. And when those angels told the shepherds, you're going to go and you're going to see a star, when I look out in the sky, I'm thinking like, a star, how did they know? Well, recently I had the privilege to go on a sabbatical, and my sabbatical included or really was anchored by a trip to go see the northern lights. 
And I have a girlfriend that I traveled with. It was her life dream. So I like, I'll tag along. Sure, let's go see the Northern Lights. Well, we set it all up and we like pieces of the trip. We got to Finland. We went way up north to literally the Arctic Circle where there's a place called Santa's Village. And that's where you can see the Northern Lights. We went not just, we went further out from Santa's Village into the dark of night so that we could see, you know, no city lights, just the darkness. And sure enough, it was so cloudy. They said, sorry, you're not going to see any northern lights tonight. Okay. We're in this thing called an igloo. It's, it's had real walls, but had a glass ceiling. And, and it's like, okay. We came all this way, no northern lights. We got in our beds that night. Maybe there's a little prayer involved. Like, oh, please, you know, God, we, lo- we love you. It's a first world problem, but we've come all this way. <laughs> About 2 a.m., all of a sudden the sky just starts to dance with light. Like, you couldn't imagine it. And I thought to myself, that's what the angels saw. That's what they were talking about. Like, there was some way that God lit up the whole sky that you had to know there is a thing happening here. I I don't know what to call it. I don't know how to describe it. But there is something. It's like heaven's breaking in toward earth. You're seeing these lights. They're there all the time. Like, moving around, but the clouds overtook them. So I wonder how that is for us. Is it true for us this Advent season that there's a new thing happening? There's something getting stirred up in us that it's worth it to go and see it. It's worth it to check it out. It's worth it to sort of stop what we're doing and say, there's something new here. There's a redeemer. There's a redeemer taking us in. I love read, reading um, different Advent books, and I got some of those ideas about the, the vulnerability of Naomi talking about her sadness and, and just the reality of that from this book called Honest Advent. I got a lot of other ideas, any good ones from Brad helping with an outline on the message. But I also um, would love to share this quote out of this book. It's called Watch for the Light, and it's all these different readings um, for Advent. In it, I found my mother's recipe for grasshopper pie, in case you want that. <laughs> And uh, this pastor is talking about a sermon that she heard by a man named Raymond Brown, Father Brown. And he concluded his message this way. He suggests a thoughtful reflection on Matthew's genealogy that encourages us uh, through this season of Advent to continue the story of the sequence, of this sequence, of this family line of Jesus Christ in this way. Jesus called Peter. And Peter called Paul, and Jesus called Paul, and Paul called Timothy, and someone called you. And you must call someone. Is there someone who might be that person that you might want to share some of this place of redemption with? Maybe it's this place of redemption. Maybe it's inviting someone to come to worship night or to come to Christmas Eve because there's a thing that's happened in your life. Can you put some words to that thing? Can you invite someone to come and see it with you? Jesus tried to put words to it. We have communion offered every Sunday saying, Jesus made a new covenant. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. That was the way he expressed his vow of, of this thing that God's doing, this new thing that's worthy of the sky lighting up. It's worthy of our allegiance. So when you hear that long genealogy, 
when you hear those funny voices, funny names, can you add your name to that list? And can you imagine who God wants to add to that list through you? Please pray with me. Gracious God, we do come to you with our questions. We come to you with all the experiences that might make us bitter, that might make it hard for us to choose which road to go. And God, we come to you thanking you that you made a vow uh, that you would be one of us, that you didn't count all the glories of heaven something to be grasped, but you emptied yourself and became a human being. God, what more could you do to say yes to all that it means to be human? So God, come to us in our vulnerabilities. Um, Each one of us, you know each one of us by name. And would you bring to mind those people who have encouraged us on our journey, who's spoken words of truth or encouragement or hope, or just whose faith uh, we can rely upon. And God, would you cause us to be the kind of people um, who invite others, um, whose names would be added to your list. Maybe the most naughty of all, maybe the nicest of all. Lord, you just call us all. And would you call us uh, to this place, this holy place, place of Bethlehem, place of healing, a place where we meet our Redeemer. And would you do this new thing in us? Would you do this redeeming, freeing, hoping, loving thing? Come to us, Lord Jesus. We want to meet you here at the table. We want to meet you here as we worship. We want to be your people. So come fill us up, Holy Spirit, we ask. In 